Welcome to My Fertility Journey, Life Chats with Bianca Bullissian. Hello, hello, and welcome back. And today is the second week of our Endo Awareness Month interviews. Today I sat down with Alexandra Camara. Camara, Camara, I'm not sure. I just called her Alex. Alex is a joy to talk to, super knowledgeable and super active in the Ando Warrior community on Instagram. Please follow her handles. Tell her I said hi. Um, forgive our giggles. We were giggling like from the beginning, but the conversation does get quite serious when she's, you know, sharing her journey and when she had very, very serious and intense Ando symptoms while taking care of her two kids, it really showed how this illness can impact not just the patient, but also those surrounding them. So please enjoy the conversation, join the conversation, send us messages if you guys have any questions. Um, Alex has a ton of material and a lot of educational posts on Instagram and what her websites. There's a lot to to work on, and she is walking the talk. So I hope you enjoy it, and I will see you on the other side. Hello, Alex. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me and agreeing to spend some time to share your story and everything that you have going on because it is March 2021 and it's Ando Awareness Month and we need to raise the voice and you have so much. I'm so um, happy to finally meet you even though through the screen and hear lots about um, what you're doing and also your experience, your personal experience. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I am super excited. And yes, it's Endometriosis Awareness Month, which really in my world is every single day Yes, (laughs) because it consumes so much of my life, but it is nice when March comes around that you start hearing the voices and stories of other people who don't necessarily know when the right time is to share their story or when they're kind of, you know, on that fence of, do I start speaking up or do I not? And so I find when March comes around, a lot of those voices start being heard, which is super wonderful. Yes, it is. Yes, yes, yes. So um, we'll start a bit about like about you. You can tell a bit about yourself and your background and a bit about how reproductive health was introduced to you as a young person. Yeah, so um, I am... A Canadian. I live in Ontario. <laughs> I am a mom of two boys. They are six and they are eight. And I am married to my high school sweetheart. We've been together since we were 17. Um, 
Yeah, pretty much about that. And reproductive health, I started, I learned about it at a really young age. My mom um, has endometriosis. And so I was about around nine or 10 when her symptoms started. So that's kind of when all of that got introduced. And then obviously your standard information that you receive at school and in, you know, sexual health class and whatnot, which then I would usually go home and talk to my mom about. And then we had a pretty open relationship and conversation in regards to all of that. And especially as a teenager going through my own endometriosis journey, there was a lot of just normalcy and conversations around, you know, periods and sexual reproductive health and all of those things in my house. So it was kind of nice to have that open and fluid conversations all the time. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Which is different than I would say your average households for yes, sure. And yeah. Even with me having two boys, like even them being six and eight at this point, like we still talk about, you know, age appropriate things, but it's still mm-hmm. very much on the table. And I, I make jokes with my husband that by the time my kids get to, you know, high school and they start talking about sex that my kids will probably know more than more than what they're being taught in class, just because I'm such an open book with everything. Yes. Oh, that's excellent. I'm happy to hear because as well, like as a mother um, of boys, sometimes there's a an issue there that people feel awkward or the dad talking to the, to the daughters, right? So it's nice that it just everything is opened. And yeah, yeah that's how I believe that we should raise children. Absolutely. Absolutely. Once you, because once you start taking the stigma out of the conversations, then they just become normal conversations and it's not, you know, and that's a a lot of the issue around, you know, conversations like endometriosis and periods and all of those things is they're quote unquote taboo topics because they're not just spoken about as, you know, as normal as you went and bought eggs at the grocery store today oh, well, I started my period today and it's really heavy. Like why, are, why should those two things be, you know, a difference in typical topics of conversation? Yes, absolutely. Like I read a post yesterday um, or maybe, yeah, cause it's endometriosis and it was also International Women's Day. So it was something along those lines, but it was talking about how it's totally fine to have these horror movies with so much blood gushing everywhere. And in the middle of the day, like it doesn't even have, it's not even a PG rated, whatever, but then God forbid that we show like a a sanitary pad with fake blood on a commercial. First of all, it has to be like blue, blue. some sort of blue thing that God knows, like people watch that when they're younger, like, I don't know what that is. And like childbirth. So then it's like pulling teeth to make sure that Instagram doesn't delete your posts because there's, you know, some more explicit picture or video of childbirth or breastfeeding. So it's just our priorities and our values are just so out of whack. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and that it's the stigma around it, unfortunately. And there was a lot of conversation at one point a couple of years ago about the whole fact that they use like what looks like windshield washer fluid to dump <laughs> on pads. And it's just like, that's, that's not reality. No, <laughs> And this should not be happening. Yeah. I actually recently, just to, to be fair, I, I will not remember the brand, but I actually did recently 
um, maybe a couple months ago, see a commercial where they were using a red liquid. Perfect. So shout out to whatever company whatever is doing yeah. that. And I remember even I mentioned my husband, like, oh my God, look at that. Like, yeah. that's a big deal. So, you know, maybe we're staring in the right direction. Absolutely. Yes. Fingers so crossed. fingers crossed. Exactly. <laughs> so um, I wanted to go back a bit when you mentioned that your mother has endometriosis and that you dealt with, with that and you had conversations when you were so young, eight to nine. Mm-hmm. So what do you remember from that time? Like, what were her symptoms did she, did you see like was there um how can I say a break in dynamics of like what she could do because of pain or was that what conversations the conversations that came up or was it just surrounding the issue itself um I think probably just surrounding the issue like I remember her and I would be walking like obviously you're going back to when I was like nine, nine, eight, nine, 10, 11. Um, so it was quite a while ago, but I do remember like we would be walking down the street. I don't know where we were going, but I was with her and she ended up like falling to her knees. And then this was like before cell phones were invented. So then I had to go knock on one of the neighbor's doors, um, in our neighborhood and call my dad to have my dad come and, and pick her up. Um, and then I just remember like she would, I would always like walk into the bathroom and then she would have like, like clothes soaking in the bathtub. Mm. And I'm like, well, why are these soaking? And she's like, oh, I just had an accident. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, are you okay? And then mm. that's kind of what brought up that conversation of obviously like this un, unexpected heavy bleeding that just came out of nowhere for her. Um, and that went on for a while. She ended up actually losing a lot of weight as well. Her and I actually just had this conversation last night as well. Um, But yeah, she ended up losing a lot of weight and she got really sick. And then she just dealt with doctors gaslighting her and not believing her symptoms. And it went on for probably about nine years, I'm going to say. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Well, that's a lot to deal with, with your mother just dropped to her knees in pain and you having to look for help not really knowing what's happening. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. So it, I wanted to ask actually a a genuine question. I'd have no idea how um, common is it for people to have like after so long, so much after they had children to start having flare ups like that. Like, did she have any symptoms before? Not that she was aware of. And so a lot of the times what happens is, and you tend to see some endometriosis patients where their symptoms do start after they end up having children. And a lot of times people ask like, oh, like, why is that? Um, In a lot of cases that they see is from this, essentially the early onset of menses until the point that you decide to start having children, you're usually on some type of form of hormonal management. Mm-hmm. So you're usually on a birth control, whether it's to help your painful periods because you did have them at the beginning or if they were completely fine, but you're strictly using it for contraception. So hormones mask symptoms of endometriosis. They don't get rid of it and it doesn't take it away. It just masks the symptoms. And so if you're on that safer duration of 10 to 15 years and then you get off of it and then you have the hormone suppression with pregnancy as well. So that mm-hmm. kind of not all cases, but some cases eliminates your symptoms too, or minimizes them. So then by the time you're done 
children and breastfeeding and all of your hormones kind of go back to normal and you're not suppressing anything anymore, you now have 10 to 15 years of disease that's been there wow. now surface itself. True. Yeah, absolutely true. Yeah, because this is the first time that I heard of someone that just realized like so much, um, so long after. So that's so interesting. And yeah, it goes back. I stress that so much with the birth control and suppressing Mm -hmm. the suppressing hormones and symptoms. It's so, it's like such a fine line of danger that we're treading there. And, you know, birth control has its place, you know, if that's the the one way that you have to, to avoid contraception at a time that you do not want children. Fair enough, but it's just, so so tricky yeah so yeah thanks for sharing that shout out to your mom as well yeah so um so yeah so can we go into now your personal experience with endo like when symptoms started how was it diagnosis like everything that you can share on those lines yeah so my symptoms started at a pretty young age starting around the age of I would say between seven to nine I was dealing with recurrent um, and chronic UTIs every about four to six weeks I would have a UTI mind you I was really young I don't know for sure if it's attributed to endo but at the same point it's <laughs> it's a symptom so yeah. <laughs> it's a symptom and later diagnosed um so yeah I was just constant every four to six weeks, I would have bladder infections. Um, and then once I hit 14 and I started my first period is when everything kind of just exasperated itself. Um, I would be in, you know, the emerge every other month. I would be given naproxen, this, that, and everything else. My mom just going through the journey herself, not long prior to mine recognized a lot of the symptoms. And so she was kind of my advocate in my corner. Um, and it still took five and a half years. It still took five and a half years of being sent to, you know, every other gynecologist in my city telling me I was too young to have endometriosis and there's no way I could have endometriosis. I haven't had children yet, so I couldn't have endometriosis. And, oh, if you just, if you let her cycle figure itself out for, for another, you know, few months, it'll, it'll resume and it'll just go back to normal. Um, At this point, I was dealing with chronic pain, a lot of pain around cycle and ovulation. And my biggest complaint was the fact that my periods would be 14 to 28 days long. And I would pass blood clots the size of ping pong balls to the point that I would have a spare back, like a spare bag in my backpack, as well as in my locker at school with a change of clothes and all of that, because I would have to walk to school and it was like a 20 minute walk and I would just bleed through. Um, So that was a big concern. So it wasn't until um, my mom and I kind of put our foot down. And obviously at this point, I'm 18, 17, 18. And Mm -hmm. I asked to be referred to a female gynecologist outside of my city. Um, And so I got referred to a gynecologist in Hamilton. And within three minutes of walking into her office with my mom and talking to her, she clinically diagnosed me with it and then scheduled me in for a scope surgery. So at that point, um, with surgery and pathology confirmation, I was diagnosed with pelvic endometriosis and suspected adenomyosis. Okay. Mm-hmm. Was she the one that did the surgery or? She did different? my diagnostic. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So my gynecologist diagnosed me. So, um, endometriosis being, do we know what, do you want me to explain what endometriosis is? Um, yes. Let's, let's go briefly into that. Yeah. We've had, you know, we've had previous, um, episodes with, 
uh, brief explanations, but yeah, yes. it's never too much, especially no. if someone is just tuning in and listening to this um, isolated one. Absolutely. Yes. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So endometriosis is when cells that are similar, but not the same as your uterine lining are found outside of your uterus. Um, majority of the time they are found in and around your reproductive organs or within your pelvis, but there are, it's common as well for it to be anywhere else in your body. It has been found in and on every single organ in the body. Adenomyosis is the sister disease to endometriosis. So that's when the lining of the uterus actually infiltrates the muscle of the uterus. Mm -hmm. So there is no cure for endometriosis as the disease resides outside of the uterus, but there is a cure for adenomyosis, which is the removal of the uterus. So a hysterectomy. Okay. Yeah. And there's no, for both of them, as far as I know, there's no, that they know so far, no cause that we can identify and then just try to address? There's a few theories out there. Okay. My, my personal theory, um, Dr. Redwine did the theory on it um, and it's the Mullerosis theory. And so it's having a genetic compound um, that's laid down in utero at birth. So also too, if your mother has endometriosis and she has a female born fetus that that child is seven times more likely to develop the disease than not. Okay. So, so quite connected to genes yes. in, in that sense. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. So frustrating that there's still no cure yes. and yeah. So, so challenging that way. Um, yeah. I through all these conversations, I'm finding more and more fascinating um, oh. how in reading, you know, your posts from um, your accounts and the other um, ones that I follow, how it can just spread through the body and the symptoms can be so different. So yep. you mentioning the UTIs, you know, yep. I had, I had recurrent cystitis. Cystitis mm -hmm. is um, sort of, I don't know, that's, this is not a medical term and, and by any means, but <laughs> I, I feel like it's just like a mild UTI. So I didn't need um, antibiotics or anything, didn't need it to go to the hospital. I took homeopathic medicine as mm -hmm. I was growing up and that took care of it, but it was really, really recurrent and also yeast infections, yeah. um, which, which just got worse and worse with me um, following those commercials of um, female uh, hygiene soaps. Yep. That would actually just make it worse because they would just get rid of the good bacteria together with the bad. Long story yep. short, just, yeah, at some point I found that out and stopped using those. <laughs> it took years though. Yep. But that's so interesting because the reproductive system and then the the urinary, the urinary system, I guess you'd say. Yep. So the kidneys, bladder, all of that so connected. Yep. And, and then having endo in the bladder is, is very common as well. Yeah. Right. So it totally well makes the, sense. Yeah. As well as the GI tract, a majority, mm -hmm. majority of endometriosis patients in their journey of trying to find a diagnosis are often diagnosed with IBS because a lot of the symptoms present themselves to be very similar where you have, you know, food intolerances and the on again, off again of constipation and diarrhea and the extreme bloating and, you know, certain foods that would, would cause pain and whatnot. And so instead of looking at it as an inflammatory disease and the foods that are being consumed are 
inflammatory triggers of foods often gets misdiagnosed as IBS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because also, again, the the digestive system so complex. Yeah, yeah. That's so. It's just so interesting and fascinating to me, which probably makes it even harder for people to understand that they need to take it this seriously you know mm-hmm. the system i mean uh, like government policies and all that stuff and hopefully we'll get we'll get to that too because that's i know part of your um of your advocacy as well yes. so if we continue with your your journey mm-hmm. so you did the the first scope um surgery yes. and then they found the endo there and what what did they do was that just a diagnostic did they yeah. did they take any action on that no, surgery? so that was so that was just diagnosis um and that was that was it because all i signed off on and all i consented to was a diagnosis um diagnostic scope so we did that and realistically all that changed was nothing it just it, it just <laughs> set us up for what type of hormonal suppression i was going to venture on to next. Um, you also have to realize I was 19 at the time. I knew absolutely nothing. I knew nothing. I knew, I knew what my mom knew and compared to what I know now, that was nothing as well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was very minuscule amounts of information that we were going off of. Um, so if you name the medication available, I was on it. I've done, I've during my entire journey, I've done every single type of hormonal suppression. Um, but I knew no better back then. I knew no better. I was trusting the words of the doctors who I thought knew, um, which obviously I learned they don't. So, um, (laughs) yeah, pretty much I did a whole bunch of different types of medications. And then I was on one birth control that was working really, really well. And that worked well at suppressing my adenomyosis symptoms and just kind of like shortened down my cycle to, about seven to nine days a month. And so at that point I was happy with that and it ended up getting discontinued. So then once it got discontinued, I had been on birth control at that point for 11 years. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to give myself a break and I'm just going to see what what my body does on its own. Um, And so nine months being off birth control, we felt pregnant with our first son. So, which was a surprise because I was told that it would be really difficult for me to get pregnant. Yeah. Um, which is the case with some endometriosis patients, but isn't the case with other endometriosis patients. Yeah. And it has nothing, sorry to interrupt your okay. thought there. It has nothing to do with the severity, right? Of the, of endo, because I've had conversations too with other um, women that had terrible, terrible symptoms, mm-hmm. like similar to you, right? Super mm-hmm. heavy periods, like things that are just not normal. Yeah. Um, and the doctors keep telling us, you know, everyone's different and that's just normal. No, you're not supposed to bleed for 20 days you're not supposed yeah. to like fall to the ground because you're in pain that's not normal but and they still had no trouble yeah. conceiving and and then you have um people that are diagnosed sometimes by accident I read yeah. the other day someone's like oh I, I had to go to some random surgery or ultrasound or whatever yeah. and then they found endo and they've been trying to conceive for so long mm-hmm. And then after they do um, excision surgery, then they fall pregnant. So it was yes. clearly like the endo was at least part, a big part of the of the Absolutely. infertility p- part of that um, journey. But yeah, it's so it's weird in a way, isn't it? You would think like the more severe the symptoms, then the more connected to infertility. But it's not really that. No, dry. it's not. Yeah. And so. Um, 
Endometriosis makes up for 40% of unexplained infertility. Undiagnosed endometriosis, sorry, I should say, um, mm. makes up for 40% of unexplained infertility. And so endometriosis works in stages. So there's stage one, two, three, and four. Usually infertility or fertility issues are seen with stage three and four. However, symptoms do not equate staging. So, so exactly like you said, somebody can be a stage one and they are in debilitating pain every single day and can't function. And then you can have stage four patients that are diagnosed by accident and they have no idea. It's so, so bizarre. Yeah. Can you briefly go through the stages? So what categorizes um, the stage one to four? It, yeah, it just depends on where it is and if it's superficial okay. endometriosis or deeply infiltrating mm -hmm. endometriosis, if it's extra pelvic endometriosis, pretty much it just explains, the staging explains how much there is and how how progressed the disease is. Okay, the deeper technically, the worse it would be yeah. and the more spread out, the worse it would be in yeah. the stages. Yeah, yeah, but very yeah. interesting. The The symptoms not being connected to the severity. Yes. And, and, and the, inf the infertility with the symptoms there's, too. There's conversation in the endo community of, you know, kind of wanting to get rid of the staging system just because it doesn't, it's hard because a lot of endo patients who have suffered so badly for so long and were dismissed for so long, you know, and they go in for surgery and they're like, well, I was only stage one or I was only stage two. And they kind of feel defeated in that sense because mm -hmm. they don't feel like it's validating enough, which is awful to say when really staging is only beneficial and utilized when you're dealing with fertility. So like that's, that's really its only place. And that's where it kind of should stay as opposed to kind of being this, which we subconsciously just think, oh, well, it's really bad. So I think I'm stage four and then ultimately kind of be defeated when it doesn't come out as bad of a stage as one had anticipated. So that's why it just, no matter if you're stage one or four, your symptoms and, and situation is valid and your yeah, feelings yeah, are valid and absolutely. Your, pain's, your pain's real. It doesn't matter if it's one or four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get that all the time too with, with fertility is the same, right? Some mm -hmm. people are like, oh, I would love to share my story. Like I'm constantly reaching out to the community. So if you're yeah. listening out there and you want to share your story, <laughs> just reach out. But the, yeah, sometimes people always start like this, like, especially if they read or listen to my story, that was um, almost eight years. Yep to be able to, to conceive, then they're like, yeah, but my story is just, you know, I'm just trying for a year or I just started. I'm like, it doesn't matter. No. First of all, time is so subjective to, you know, it's just a, an imagination of the way things pass in our life. And second is just the pain is the pain. Yeah, Absolutely. definitely. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's a good thing to bring up. Like if you, you should never, just blame yourself because you were complaining about it, but then you got a diagnosis of stage one. That means nothing. nothing. Yeah. 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 So thanks for, thanks for bringing that up. That's super yeah. important. Um, so, so yeah. So congratulations on you two little boys, of yes. course. And then what happened afterwards? Because there's this big, I've brought it up a few times already in conversations, how this big misconception of that doctors tell us all the time. And we read as well that, you know, the, the cure for endometriosis cut and dry is to just fall pregnant breastfeed mm -hmm. as much as you can and then and then you're good yeah yep. and it's it's totally not true no. I'm on an endometriosis um and pregnancy 
which I'm so happy to finally be on a pregnancy group on Facebook. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Took a while, but I got there. Um, This is the first time I'm actually talking on uh, the podcast conversation (laughs) that I'm pregnant. So it's very, it's very happy moment. And, and there are just like, everyone sharing about having huge flare-ups during pregnancy and it coming back worse after they had the baby. So, so yeah. What was your experience with that? Yeah. So I'm, I kind of take two theories that doctors typically use and, um, I prove them wrong. (laughs) So a lot of the time they say, well, just get pregnant and your endo will go away or, you know, have a hysterectomy and your endo will go away. Well, I did both of those things and neither of them are true. Um, so yeah, once we had our second son, then I decided to undergo a hysterectomy. I already knew that I had adenomyosis or suspected adenomyosis. Mm-hmm. It technically can't be fully diagnosed until the uterus is removed and sent to pathology. Oh, um, interesting. I didn't mm-hmm. know that. Okay. Um, but they can, they can see it on like when they go in for a laparoscopy, they usually have a pretty good idea because the Mm -hmm. uterus is usually enlarged. Um, but to have a full pathological diagnosis, the uterus has to go. Um, so I knew that was going to happen. So when my youngest son was, oh gosh, how old was he when I went? I'm going to say maybe like a year and a half. Um, I went and had a lap, uh, had my hysterectomy done. And so I thought this was perfect it's gone. I'm not going to bleed all the time anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. adenomyosis also presents a lot of pain as well. A lot of pelvic pain. And a lot of the time, some adenomyosis symptoms, pains, um, can mimic endometriosis pains as well. So I thought, oh, well maybe the adeno pain will be gone as well, which will be lovely. Um, which some things did resolve. And then three months post hysterectomy, I started to experience thoracic endometriosis symptoms. And so, I started to experience severe shortness of breath and incredible chest pains. And it felt like there was a 300 pound elephant sitting on my chest and I would have pains that would radiate from my shoulder down into my arms and make my hands go numb. And I was like, what the heck is happening? Mm -hmm. And so like I did with everything my entire life, I just started to write it down. This day, this happened and this day, this happened because at this point as well, I had no I had no period or ovulation to go off of to mm-hmm. figure out anything at this point. And so after th- three to four months of writing down these symptoms, I put them on a calendar and I realized it worked in the two week pattern. So oh. these symptoms would happen for in the beginning about two, two to four times a week, every two weeks. And then I threw it in a period tracker app to see if it would correlate and mm-hmm. it fell straight on ovulation and when period would be. Um, So yeah, so I brought those fine. I started to do a bunch of research if endometriosis can affect your lungs, um, which I found a whole lot of resources. There's an amazing Facebook page. If anybody is dealing with extra pelvic endo on Facebook, it's extra pelvic, not rare. Um, And essentially I just scoured those for information. And so when I essentially self-diagnosed myself. Mm -hmm. I took my findings to my family doctor and I knew that I needed him to send me back to my gynecologist to fast track me into an endometriosis surgeon. Because even up until my hysterectomy, it was my gynecologist who did my hysterectomy. I was unaware that there was such a thing as an endometriosis specialist. So like not only have had I dealt with this disease for, you know, 
15 years at this point. Uh, my mom also dealt with it as well. And her and I both had no idea that they actually had specialists who deal with this disease. Mm-hmm. But then obviously the online community and the resources and finding all of that information opened my world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I went to my family doctor and they said, look, like this is what I found. And these are my symptoms. And I'm pretty sure I have thoracic endometriosis. And he told me that endo cannot reside outside of the pelvis, which that's false. Um, he also told me that um, I wasn't, he essentially said that wasn't a thing and there's no possibility that it could happen. And I was having hormonally induced anxiety attacks, but I've never had anxiety in my entire life. Okay. So he refused to send me back to my gynecologist and he wrote me a prescription for Zoloft and Ativan and he sent me home. And wow. so- I was so defeated, but I was so mad because I knew in my heart that I was right. I knew I was right. (laughs) I called his office the next day and I lied. I lied. I came up with some ridiculous reason. I don't even know what it was as to why I need to go back to see my gynecologist Mm -hmm. for him to send the referral. So then he sent it, I think hesitantly, but he sent it. I'm pretty sure he knew I lied, but that's fine. He sent it. Um, and then within eight months, I walked into an endometriosis surgeon's office. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That is, that should not be happening in the medical system at all. It's so unfortunate. It is. It, It happens far too often. The amount of dismissal and gaslighting that, and disbelief that we go through from medical professionals is absolutely appalling, appalling. It's, I just, I spoke to some doctors the other day and in my, in my speaking to them, like my last sentence was like, nobody wants this. Nobody would make up, make this up. I'm going to tell you that right now. No, nobody, nobody would make up this type of pain and these type of symptoms. So please listen to your patients and believe them when they talk to you. Exactly. Yeah, that's a very good point to make because I don't know what it is that goes on their mind. Nothing, apparently. So then, so then what you, so you see the surgeon, which is sort of like a new thing now because it's like a proper endometriosis specialist that you see. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I present him my findings and what I think I have and the research that I have done And he referred me to his thoracic surgeon who he works alongside of. So that was wonderful. So now essentially, and he believed me, he, he wholeheartedly agreed with my symptoms correlating to what thoracic endometriosis symptoms are and all of those things. But at this point I had to do the juggling balancing act of going going and having my appointments with my endometriosis specialist. And then the following month, go and have my appointments with my thoracic surgeon. And this went on for about six months. It was the back and forth because I had to, I essentially had to get them to both agree to do a collaborative surgery together on me because I wasn't, I needed my thoracic surgeon to get into my lungs, but I needed my endometriosis specialist to be able to find and target the disease to remove it properly. So, so it was, basically the, the endometriosis surgeon doesn't have the specialty and whatever skills required to go into the thoracic cavity, correct. just the pelvic cavity, Yes. but the thoracic surgeon does not have the endometriosis awareness correct. to do the surgery on, on his, uh, their own. 
Yes, that because sounds en- like terrible. <laughs> yes, because endometriosis can um, present itself itself in quite a few different ways. So a lot mm-hmm. of even gynecologists, when they go in, and even for laparoscopies for diagnostic, if it's done by a gynecologist and you have all these symptoms, a lot of the time they're just going in looking for these black or blue or purple cells, and that's mm-hmm. all they think that it can present itself at, which that's not true. They can be red, they can be pink, they can be clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you need an endometriosis specialist in order to find and, and accurately say that's disease that needs to be removed. Wow. So for about six months, I was, you know, one month, this doctor, one month, this doctor, yeah. and then I finally got them on the same page, but it took me a year. It took me a year of walking into my, um, my endometriosis specialist office to walking into an OR. Um, and at that point I was then I was hormonally suppressed as well during that month. So more, more masking band-aid solutions to try and help me function, which it gave me about a 30% chance, like a 30% um, functionality, but it was far from, it was far from great. It was Mm -hmm. not a quality of life. I would wish on my worst enemy. Um, So since going in for surgery and having proper proper excision. I had stage three pelvic endometriosis that got properly excised. Mm -hmm. And then I had VATS done where they excised um, endometrial cells on the, on my diaphragm and then in between my lung and my chest wall up near my heart. And it's been almost a year and a half and I have never felt better. Oh, that's so glad to hear that. Excision surgery gave me my life back. Yeah. Wow. And that just had to, it just had to have happened sooner. Yeah. That's all absolutely. it is that we're asking. Yeah. Because from the yeah. point that, from the point that my thoracic symptoms started to the point that I walked into an operating room was about two and a half years for the entire thing. And so, yes, originally it started out that it was, you know, two to four days every two weeks. But by the time I walked into the OR, it was every single day debilitating. Just some days were worse and some days were better. But like at this point, I couldn't, I couldn't load and unload my dishwasher. I couldn't carry a basket of laundry upstairs. I couldn't make my kids lunch for school because I couldn't stand in the kitchen that long. Like anything I did was, it was exhausting. I lost 25 pounds. Like I, you couldn't breathe. What can you do when you can't breathe? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And now, now I do everything. Now there's yes. nothing I don't oh, do. It's just oh, wonderful. And I gained my 20 work. pounds back. There you <laughs> go. Perfect. Yay. <laughs> and how, can you speak just briefly to um, motherhood with Ando? So how was that period there? You know, you just you already started describing a bit how yeah. challenging, but how did you feel like emotionally? And uh, did, do you feel like, was there any fear affecting your um, kids well, yeah. So and- it was, it was awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was awful. I'm not going to lie. Um, my husband is like, I know a lot of people say this, but like, he is literally one of the most amazing humans I've ever met. Um, mm-hmm. hence why he's my husband, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. But like his support through all of this, like, I, there's no way, there's no way I could have gotten through all of it without him. There was a lot of days where he was doing 90% and I was doing 10, you know, when, normal relationships would be 50 50. And it's just like, I, I can only give you 10% today. Um, I was less than a mother and I was less than a wife. It, it took over my world because I would struggle through my, 
my full-time job. And then by the time I was done work, I was so exhausted that I would end up going into the bathtub and then I'd go to bed. And that was my life. Um, my kids are the most, and I know most parents say this, but I'm biased, but they are the most caring and compassionate and empathetic kids that I think I've ever seen. And I honestly think that my disease is that reason. Um, Mm -hmm. It sucks. It sucks that they had to learn that that way because they watched me struggle and they were constantly worried about me. Um, Once I got better after surgery, my oldest son even now has some anxiety around it. So like I'll put him to bed and then it's, well, where are you going? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to go downstairs, honey. Like mommy has to make your lunch and, and I have to clean up the kitchen and there's stuff I have to do. Well, aren't you going in the bath? Aren't you going to go into your bed? Because he was so used to that for so long. Um, so we're like, even now it's been a year and a half since I've been better and we're still working through that. We're mm-hmm. still dealing with that kind of, cause the, the bathtub is literally beside his bedroom. So he okay. knew when he was in bed, I was just right beside him and, and I was okay. Um, so even a year and a half later, right. We're still dealing with that kind of separation anxiety with him from that. Um, but yeah, like even when I was sick, I would be in the bath and they would come see me and they'd be like, you, you can't breathe today, mommy. And I said, no, I can't, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, it affects, it, it affects so much more than just your physical body. Absolutely. Yeah. Relationships. And, and if you have children or not, it's just everything is affected. Yeah. Yeah. Which was very painful. Do you have anything to, to share in terms of, so this hardest time that you, that you had to go through, or even when you were younger too, um, as a, as a teenager, um, any coping strategies that, that you learned to, to deal with? My bathtub. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Bathtub is my favorite place. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, you will get a very, <laughs> a very clear picture of how much I love my bathtub, which now I use it because I want to, not because I have to. Oh, so um, good. But yeah, so for me, my main, like my main tools that I would use would be my bathtub, obviously, a lot of heat. Um, and then Probably in the year leading up to surgery, I started utilizing and getting a lot of relief from cannabis too. Um, mm-hmm. Just it's, it's high in anti-inflammatory properties and with endometriosis being an inflammatory disease, it worked really well. Um, so yeah, which I would rather, my, me personally, I would rather utilize cannabis over, you know, ongoing use of naproxens, which can cause a lot of stomach issues and, and all of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Just yeah. Um, CBD or CBD and THC? Do you so need I, both? I started out with um, CBD. And so that would target the pain for me, but it would do nothing for my shortness of breath. And mm-hmm. so then I talked with some friends and they said, sometimes you need a little bit of THC because CBD and THC both have different types of anti-inflammatory properties. Yeah. So, but I did I don't like the feeling of what THC does. And so I just made sure that I was finding a blend that was like 80% CBD and 20% THC. So it would take my shortness of breath away and it would take all of my pain away, but I was still like a fully cognizant person Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where it didn't like alter my mental state because I don't like that feeling. Yeah. Um, and that, that really, really helped. 
Amazing. Yeah. I'm sure it's very individual. Mm -hmm. You have to sort of tweak the chemistry there and the balance. And we're so lucky here in Canada. Oh my God. Yes. You just call a number. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say it's like Uber Eats. It doesn't get much better than that. Um, Oh, that's good. Thanks for sharing that too, because anything, you know, I love all the natural stuff. And of course, you know, cannabis is not for everyone, but is always an option. So if anyone's listening to this and haven't heard of it as a um, potential um, treatment that could help you with symptoms, Mm -hmm. that's amazing. Yeah. Let's go into your um, Instagram accounts, um, websites, projects, everything that you have going on. And yeah, just slowly, because I know there is a lot going on, but (laughs) tell us a bit about the Instagram accounts first, because you have a huge following on your personal Instagram. And then you have your Ando Canada, which is the, I'm not going to say like more of the advocacy because you advocate on your personal one, like so much as well, but I think it's more focused, isn't it? Is that fair to say? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So I started out, so my Instagram platform for my personal is yellow bows XO. And I started that out at the very start of my thoracic journey. Um, I wouldn't say actually at the very start. I started that the month that I got into my endometriosis specialist office. Mm. Um, And I was, I guess I was just still second guessing myself at that point. So I had all of this information and I thought this was what I had, but until, you know, I had somebody like him confirm my suspicions is when I decided, okay, now I'm going to start entering into this amazing community. Um, so I started out in October of 2018 and it was just at a point where I felt alone. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there with pelvic endometriosis and it's great that there's the community, but, and I had, you know, I had my friends who had that support and I have friends around me who have pelvic endo. And so I always had that support in that aspect, but I had, I had no support or community while I was dealing with extra pelvic and the thoracic aspect. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was like, I need to find somebody else to kind of virtually hold my hand and tell me that they understand and that, you know, I'm not alone and that they understand and get what I'm going through. And so that's kind of how that started about. And I just documented my entire journey, my entire journey with everything. And it kind of just slowly started to evolve into this phenomenal now amazing community of people who source me out and find me and you know are always dming me you know all their questions and everything which is absolutely wonderful and that's what it's there for Mm -hmm. um and like I can't I can't even explain how happy I am of what it's turned into to be you know some somebody just out there opening up Instagram account to find somebody else to make me feel less alone. And now I'm being sourced to help others feel less alone on their journey. Yeah. Um, it's a full circle. That's it really is beautiful. And that happens. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just so thankful for that. And so, yeah, I, I definitely share my journey and my advocacy on there, but then I also share like my normal life as well. You know, I share my kids and my husband and what we do on weekends and my dog. <laughs> which is very inspirational too right because you read the struggles and then you see how you know how you can get into having more normalcy in your life and it is inspirational for sure Yeah, yeah yeah and like I always you know even now like I 
I still talk about the struggles back then, but then, you know, Mm -hmm. look at what excision gave me and excision gave me my life back. And this is what we should be fighting for. And this is what the education needs to be around. And more people need to know about this. Like, yes, there's hormonal management when you deal with a national healthcare system, like we do in our obscene wait times, you know, they're there to help if you need the help, but it's, it's not doing a benefit long-term. They're not long-term options by any means. And it's not doing anything to the endometriosis within your body either. Um, Because I did it. I used it as a bridge in order to help me manage my symptoms to get me to surgery, but it was far from, it should never be a long-term option at all. Yeah. Um, And I was also very educated in all of the side effects and all of the implications that the medications can give you, which I think is something so important that patients need to do is if you're going to make those decisions to utilize the, you know, hormonal suppression management, absolutely. As long as you are fully aware of all of the adverse effects that it comes with. Yeah. Because Um, they don't, they don't open up about that if, if any. Yeah. And the, the doctors can be like the kindest Mm -hmm. or whatever, but they still, they won't um, go into all of that. So you do have to do your own research. Or a lot of the time what happens is they, they, they essentially market them in office to make them Mm -hmm. seem like they're going to be this, this wonderful drug that's going to cure you or, take away your endo or make it dissolve or make it Mm. to stop from coming back. No, (laughs) no, that is not what those do. Yes. It's it's, that's, that's false and that's wrong. So as long as they're being utilized because there is um, like patient understanding and it's Mm -hmm. a consensual, it's a consensual choice that you're making because you are fully aware, then that's one thing. Yeah. Um, but to be kind of coerced into it or lied to about what what it does is not yeah, okay. no good. I think also the um, understanding of the timeline, like you said, you know, it's okay yep. if it's a bridge into what really is going to um, resolve or at least decrease significantly your your issue, which is yep. the surgery, the proper surgery with a specialist. Yeah. Um, because a lot of the times it's just it's just, they put you on it and then you're like, you're, you're forgotten in the system and you're on these drugs that are dangerous in a lot of ways for our bodies for much longer than you should be. So I think that research of timeline is, yeah, super important as well. Absolutely. And knowing that you're going to get somewhere else, not just stay there forever. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing Yeah. And And another thing to add about medications is um, never feel for people listening. Um, never feel that you have to take a medication that your doctor is suggesting in order to get to the next step. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of conversation around that. Well, if I, if I refuse to take this, will they still consider surgery? Or if I refuse, you know, they're, they're recommending this, but if I don't take that, will the conversation of surgery still be on the table? Realistically, the way your conversation should go with your specialists are, here are all of your options. Yeah. What would you like to do? Right. And that's, that's how that conversation should be. It should never be, okay, well, we're going to try this and then we'll see how that goes. And then maybe we'll talk about it later. If those conversations are happening, then find a different doctor because that's not okay. Great, great tip. Yes. Of all that, it's so sneaky. 
right? Yeah. These conversations can get snow sneaky. So let's go into Endo Canada. So yes. how did that account came about and what are you, what are you up to with it? <laughs> yes. So, um, with my personal online platform, I was doing things and I was really enjoying it and doing types of ad- advocacy in that aspect individually, because, you know, I would talk with patients individually and I would help them, you know, arm them with all the information that they needed to become their own best advocate. But then I also saw issues systemically. I saw issues, issues that, that were so far beyond, you know, a hand, what a handful of educated patients are doing in doctor's offices, there needs to be more happening outside of that. Mm -hmm. And so a year ago, I launched the Endometriosis Foundation of Canada. And so that is what Endo Canada is on um, Instagram and Facebook. So yes, my yellow bows XO is definitely like still my story, still all about me and my family life where Endo Canada page is like just very technical, yeah. <laughs> very mm-hmm. technical, very informative. Um, there's a lot of information there on things. And through the month of March, I'm making a point that like each day, there's just another another post about information and more information. It's very educational for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you go back to the early posts and just like go through all of it, you can learn a lot. Yes. (laughs) Not everything. (laughs) Yes. About endometriosis and And I try And I try to make it like as much in, you know, layman's terms as possible Mm because it can get really, it can get really hard, you know, being a patient and, and going through research papers and case studies and trying to understand it all. So I, I try and put it in like simplistic terms too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's more yeah user friendly. Yes. Um, so what do you feel in your um, so in your advocacy? Mm-hmm. What are your goals or your visions with this platform in terms of what you said? You know, looking at a bigger, broader um, umbrella or yep. in the system, looking more from the top down versus the patients. Um, talking to patients and educating them, it's sort of from the bottom up. Yeah. And there's just so much you can do um, from there. So what are the things that you can talk, tell us about and even actions that we can take, you know? Yeah. So currently um, the endometriosis network of Canada has a, has an act happening and it's the endo act. And so they're actually trying to take things and push them into government and make systemic changes. And that's that aspect Um, which is fantastic. And they're working really hard at that, which is awesome. With the Endometriosis Foundation of Canada, our main goals are creating generalized awareness. Um, So also we're still very early in our infancy because it's only been a Mm -hmm. year. And I launched it two weeks prior to a pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Last year wasn't very productive because I'm also thinking like, how can I get donations when nobody's working? (laughs) I know exactly. And, and when like no company is going to partner with me because they've all had to lay a bunch of staff off. Yes. So, and you can't have fundraisers, like no, a proper fundraiser because no. you can't have gatherings. Yeah. It's yes. very complicated. Yeah. So absolutely. horrible timing on my part. <laughs> but I didn't know. <laughs> um, but yes. Yeah, so one thing that we do want to do is start focusing on generalized awareness. Realistically, the way that funding and research and education is going to happen is the more people know about it, the more it becomes a household name. You know, it's why we know about things like diabetes and asthma, because there's generalized awareness around it. Um, So one thing that we do want to focus on is like taking our logo and putting it onto 
you know, household items or feminine care products and stuff mm-hmm. like that, just to kind of get that conversation started. Um, I would really love to have like our logo on some feminine products and then have a pamphlet on the inside, just explaining what endometriosis is. Nice. So I think that would be really helpful. And then the other huge area that we see need in is we don't have enough surgeons who specialize in this disease in Canada to take care of the amount of patients that is needed. So to the point that we actually have provinces who have no resources whatsoever, they don't have endometriosis surgeons. And so the, the struggle of getting an out of province referral is that's a hefty ladder to climb. Um, so we are hoping at one point when we have enough funds to do it is funnel funds into fellowship programs in order to help get more endometriosis surgeons trained and then hopefully have some go into those provinces that just don't have any. Wow. I didn't even know that. That's yeah. Imagine getting a specialist in your own city and then getting a specialist in a different province. Yep. That is ridiculous. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So we'll put all of that information on the notes as well. So that people can go on the website and look at those. Yeah. And like our um, our action plans as well. Yeah. And all of that is in our missions and our values in the website. Yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. And then we'll keep an eye and maybe have you back whenever you're running a fundraiser (laughs) or anything like that when life is a bit more normal. And um, so as we approach the end, I wanted you to share the partnerships that you have this month on your, on your Instagram and what's going on with that. Yeah. So I have partnered this month with Precious Carnations. And so we collaboratively designed um, an endometriosis awareness line which I had manifested last year. So I manifested it all year that I wanted it to happen for March and then it happened. (laughs) So So I'm I'm super proud of that. So portions of um, the proceeds are being donated to Endo Canada, which is awesome. And then Oak Scrunchies, she is also an Endo Warrior. And so she has some headbands and scrunchies that she is doing and donating Um, portion of proceeds for that. And then also um, memory stuff is doing some scrunchies as well and donating those, those proceeds over um, from any sales made in the month of March too. Okay, perfect. And then auction too. I think I saw you mention an auction this month, right? Yes. So we have a few auction items um, and I think we're going to launch that next week. I'm so busy with things behind the scenes (laughs) with things like this um, podcast. So I'm just trying to organize my life. Um, But yes, Smash and Tess has donated a romper to us. Onut has donated an Onut. Um, We have a wooden warrior sign from Naughty Planks donated to auction. We have some bath bombs, all the fun stuff. Yes, yes. So we'll also add all of that and then maybe um, the dates and stuff so people yes. can can look into it. That's brilliant. Um, Alex, thank you so, so much. Yeah. Um, if you have any, I always sort of finish with any um, quote or a book maybe that that you that sort of helped you through your journey or a, a mentor, someone that that people can look up to besides your own um, the, the accounts that you are involved with. Yes. Um, anything that comes to mind. Absolutely. Um, so the first thing I have to say is just know that you're not alone. One thing that got me through probably a hundred percent of my bad days is exactly that this far, you've gotten through a hundred percent of your bad days. 
-hmm. So you're going to get through your next bad day too, um, which is a mantra I would just replay in my head on the really bad days. Um, some people that I couldn't have done any of this without is Kate from endo girls blog, as well as Wendy from the extra pelvic, not rare page. Those two have been my, my rock through this whole journey. So lovely. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. We have to, the more community and different resources, the better to give people support. Yes. Well, Alex, thank you so much. Like you have just so much knowledge. I learned so much from you. So thank you for being (laughs) here. Thank you so much for having me on. Yes. Good luck with all the projects. We'll be in touch. And yes. yes, And I for sure we'll have you back to share more stuff as things progress in a good way um, through this pandemic and through all the plans that you have in store. Yes. Good luck with everything. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Sounds great. Okay, folks, thank you so much again for listening. And like I mentioned before, go ahead and take a look at all the handles and follow Alex and support her projects. There's a lot going on this month. Um, The partnerships and look at all the products to support the endo community as well. Um, lots of things that we can buy, hair scrunchies and t-shirts, and part of the proceedings go to Endo Canada and other support groups as well. So take a look at that. And to finish off, I just wanted to read this one little simple sentence that Alex wrote on, I think, her second post. I was just scrolling like right down to the beginning of her feed. And she said, I am never a hundred percent. With the chronic endo battle, there is never such a thing as a hundred percent. It is a daily fight, which is what makes us warriors. And I'll leave you with that. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and I'll see you next Tuesday. This podcast wouldn't be up and running if it wasn't for the help of a few very special people. You can find my special thanks to them all at myfertilityjourney.ca. And if you want to keep in touch, find me on Instagram on at myfertilityjourney.ca. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, leave a review to support the show and share it with anyone you think might benefit from it. Love you all and I'll see you soon.